0: Hi, I'm Nanita Desai and you're listening to The Sound Architect Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sound Architect podcast. I am your host Sam Hughes and as you just heard today I'm joined by composer Nanita Desai. Thank you for joining me Nanita, how are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you Sam.
1: Excellent and it's a pleasure to have you here today and before we discuss your recent projects I'm really curious, could you tell us how your journey into music began?
0: Yeah, I had quite a... A strange and unusual route into the industry, actually. Excellent. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's never a set path, um, you know, to becoming a media or film, TV, games composer. Yeah. So basically, I started off learning the violin and the piano. And I was performing a lot in school bands. I, I wanted to be a singer, actually. And so I used to sing in bands oh, and nice. choirs at any available opportunity. And then as a teenager, I got into technology and I was very much a a tomboy and I used to play with Meccano and cars and I was into um, computers and taking them apart and playing on my Amstrad yeah Amstrad 2600 I think it was space invaders I used to go to my best friend's house and she she had the latest you know um, uh, video uh, game platform that I could play on when I visited her so I was really so I was really into computers and technology and I got into synthesizers my school my secondary school had this amazing synth it was a ECM VC, um ECM VCS3 which you can't get for love nor money these days and they're super expensive I think they're worth about 15 20 thousand pounds oh, wow. now and 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 my music department in in secondary school actually bought one and no, and it was sitting there gathering dust and no one would play uh, use it and so I just snuck into the into the department one day and said to the um, to the teacher can I borrow this because no one's using it can I just take it home and figure out how to make it work and it looked like this suitcase with battle you know battleship with all the pins that stick in and out of the game yeah and uh, so I um I borrowed it and I actually borrowed it ended up having it at home for two years and no one noticed that it was missing (laughs)
1: amazing it's only worth uh, 20 grand or whatever
0: I know well when I when I left school I took it back of course of course um, it's
1: surprising though isn't it
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) so and and I took it back and I said oh we didn't know you had this you know um thanks for returning it but it was great for me because I really got into the basics of synthesizers and trying to get squeaks and squawks out of this um, and understand the basics of, of synthesis mm. and um, so I set up my own little home recording studio as I was growing up and spending all my savings on buying sy- I bought a Roland D70 synth which was the latest uh, synth at the time you know the biggest and the bestest thing <laughs> um, and, uh, and and uh, you know, saving up all my pocket money to, to buy it, and um, but then I I actually went to university and did a degree in mathematics um, oh, wow. because I didn't <laughs> I didn't I wasn't for various reasons I didn't end up studying music. Um, I was torn between becoming an architect and and going into music because I love the blend of creativity, artistry, and technology. Sort of blending the two together yeah. and. Um, and of course, you know, as a as a media composer, we do that, you know, we're working with computers and technology and and we're being creative at the same time. Yeah. So so I did a degree in maths and then after that I ended up doing a postgrad diploma in music technology and then I got a scholarship to go to the National Film and Television School to study sound for film because while I was at university I would be really into um I was very into film and storytelling and just the escapist form of you know the visual art forms and and I loved feature films and i i sort of developed a real love of music in films as a teenager. I used to go to my local library and borrow they had a great soundtrack section and so i'd I'd borrow lps and 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 sort of immerse myself in them and bootleg them when I took them home <laughs> awesome. and uh, and um and just sort of listen to sc- film scores and and just be swept away uh, into another to another world and and the same with films as well so I studied photography and I took short courses and evening classes in filmmaking 16 mil filmmaking and so I sort of was just Really immersed in all of those different disciplines, and uh, and there and I was also very much into technology, so I, I loved sound, and I thought, oh, I want to be. Um, I I thought I wanted to go into music engineering, and um, and I did for a while. So I, I started off as a sound designer on feature films after finishing, um, you know, studying at the film school. Nice, and I got to work on. As part of the the audio post production teams, you know, doing dialogue editing, sound effects editing. Um, I was a foley artist at one point um, and a, a foley editor. So you
1: almost dabbled in everything.
0: Yeah, I got a real grounding in in sound for film and TV. And then um, and I was working with amazing teams uh, like um, I was assistant to the chap uh, Glenn Fremantle, who got the Oscar for doing the sound for gravity. And and I I was an apprentice to Eddie Joseph, who did a lot of the Bond uh, feature films. And I mean, he's just one of the top guys in the industry. So I so I really got to learn from the best. And I got about as high as I could in in that world. And I thought, well, I don't want to be this. It just wasn't creative enough for me. So I, um, and of course, my roots are music. And, and I was, you know, I sort of embraced myself in, in music as a child and, and a teenager. So I met Peter Gabriel at the university. And, oh, no uh, way. That's cool. He was, yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And he was one of my musical heroes. And I um, met him at university. Uh, he came to the uni for, for a visit. And he said, Oh, look me up, Nanita, when you finish your degree. And, oh, wow. Uh, and I thought, <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and then a couple of years later, after I'd been working in sound design, I remembered what he said. And uh, I was working in Germany at the time. And I really missed. London and I came back to London and I thought right I'm unemployed what am I going to do and so I wrote a handwritten letter to Peter Gabriel and he um, uh, I got a reply from the from Real World Studios uh, and he's got this amazing studio complex just outside Bath Uh, it's a beautiful part of the world it's a very inspiring place and it's one of the best recording studios in the world you know outside of Abbey Road and, and AS Studios and so on and so they invited me down and uh, basically I took myself into being given a job as Peter's uh, assistant music engineer. That's amazing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was just, um, I learned so much and I got to work with some of the world's greatest engineers and producers and amazing artists and world
1: what an amazing start that's crazy
0: yeah so i so i did that for a while and then i freelanced for a bit and then after that i i met a music supervisor at real world actually and he said look nanita i know you want to um, get into film and TV scoring because uh, that was my ultimate ultimately that was my dream but i just didn't know how to do it yeah. you know and i had i had all these different skills you know working in sound for film and, and music engineering that i thought um, it's it's the perfect skill set for for being a, a media composer so um so i got offered a job which was a, a television documentary for channel 4 and uh, they wanted different composers on different episodes, and so I scored that, and that was a baptism by fire because I was trying to figure out how do I synchronize, you know, music to all the hit points on the screen, and <laughs> that was quite a challenge. And I'd never gone to a school or a college, and no one had shown me how to do it, but but I managed it, and um, just staying up, you know, all day and all night trying to figure it yeah. out, and. Um, I did the job, the film company liked it, and they offered me another and another, and and that just sort of snowballed from there. Uh, so 20 years later, here we are.
1: Wow, what an amazing story.
0: <laughs> that, was, that was my path into the industry. And, and along the way, I scored, I started off uh, after that, I um, got into writing music and doing sound effects for video games. And I did that for a little while, and then the publisher that I was working for um, sort of packed up shop and they I think they made their millions and uh, and sold the business and so I was kind of out of work so I um I then worked as a free I've worked as a freelancer basically just writing music for documentaries which is my main foundation but along the ways I've been doing dramas and features and uh, and all sorts of projects really that's
1: lovely it's kind of easier to ask you what you haven't done at that point isn't it (laughs) And you've also broken through a couple of times, haven't you, over the, over the <laughs> yeah. last few
0: years,
1: <laughs> as well as many other accolades. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was made a, it's like going into the mafia, isn't it? I was made a, <laughs> BAFTA, a BAFTA breakthrough Brit in 2016. And that was a huge honour for me um, because normally they choose about 18 people a year out of hundreds and hundreds of people Um uh, every year that apply and they give you a year's mentoring and uh, they put you on the radar of a lot of people in the industry and they, they they normally choose actors and film directors and and those kinds of people producers and so on <clears throat> so I was one of the first composers uh craftspeople that they they'd chosen which was a which was a real honor and um that was because i i scored a breakthrough project which was a theatrical feature film which was a feature documentary called the confessions of thomas quick and uh i loved scoring that and that was um that was a bit of a breakthrough film and sort of put me on the radar of people in narrative fiction so from that from being made a breakthrough bit i got uh, offered a big video game which um I scored it took about two years work actually on that so it came out it came out last summer uh, it's a game called telling lies and it's it's an it's an interactive feature film as well as being a video game so that was a quite um it was a real diversion and doing something that was that's on the edges of working on the fringes of New forms of entertainment, which I find a really exciting space to be, and then I did a couple of feature films. One was a, a psychological horror called *Darkness Visible*, which was which exercised me in different ways creatively, um, sort of pushed me into areas that I've not worked in before, which was a lot of fun, and uh, scored a, a World War II period drama co- uh, called *Enemy Within*. About based on a true story. It's an amazing story. It's about um, a Japanese World War pilot that crash landed off the coast of one of the Hawaiian islands in December nineteen forty one, which is the time of Pearl Harbor. Yeah, of course. And he 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 bombed uh, Pearl Harbor, and then he crash landed off the coast of Hawaii, and he got rescued by the islanders, and they um, it's all true story, and they saved his life, and of course they didn't realise that he was actually the enemy. Because he was a Japanese pilot, you know, and uh, and so they find out through a crackly old broadcast, radio broadcast, a few weeks later uh, about who he really was. And they turned on him and he turned on them and it all goes wrong in the jungle. Oh,
1: wow. That's really intense. <laughs> that sounds really interesting, actually.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. So that was a fun project, to, It um, really was a fun project to scorn. And then the other breakthrough was uh, this year. I was really honoured to be made um, the IFMCA's composer breakthrough composer of the year. Oh wow! Which is the Inter- International Film Music Critics Association.
1: <laughs> they definitely needed an anagram.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that was a huge honour. Uh, I think I think it was mainly because I last year was quite a busy year for me and I I think I had five soundtrack releases and and lots of projects being released um and of course I'd been working away for the last few years on all these projects which all came out at the same time and and they were all quite diverse as well I that's um,
1: fantastic though because then your name is everywhere right so then you've got all these different projects and it's like oh that's me that's also me that's me as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So what's going to happen is I'm going to be beavering away for the next couple of years, and then a, and then we'll have some more stuff coming out in a while. About
1: 10 different titles out at once.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. So where do you draw your inspiration from then? Like you, you were talking about how you used to get um, soundtracks from the library on vinyl. And, you know, who was your kind of inspiration for writing music?
0: It's an interesting question because there's so many different inspirations out there you know not just musically but you know I like to go to art galleries and I'll I'll go to art exhibitions and the theater and and just soak up all different forms of culture which all inspire me um you know just walking in nature um just going out for a walk is is oh, very yeah, inspiring definitely. you know I find um, Inspiration comes to me when I'm in the shower, you know. I'll sing a tune. But in terms of individuals, there's so many. I mean, I one of my uh, guitar musical heroes was Paco de Lucía, who's one of the greatest flamenco guitarists in the world, and um, and he was a huge inspiration, as well as um, you know lots of other musicians and composers like Laurie Anderson and Kate Bush and um, Annie Lennox, and then. Yeah, I, I I was really interested in people like Kate Bush and, and Laurie Anderson because they work at the edge of, you know, being really um push they push the boundaries of creativity and, and push the forms forward and they're really groundbreaking. And and in terms of film composers, um of course the greats like john williams i remember going to the cinema oh, and yeah. uh, and and you know listening to close encounters and and et and then jerry goldsmith's score for the omen i think it's more films that have inspired me and then when i've seen those films the scores have then piqued my interest uh you know things like spaghetti westerns and ennio morricone oh, yeah, you know when i was little composer. my dad used to take me yeah i mean just so distinctive and and bold and fresh and unique you know those
1: yeah he really carved out a style back then as well didn't he
0: yes he did and and paved the way for so many people um and inspired so many people um and in more recent times I think I really admire people like um Thomas Newman
1: another fantastic composer yeah
0: Yeah, the uh, the ambiguity in his music is just the subtlety it's so nuanced and Uh, exquisite you know I remember seeing uh, films like American Beauty and then uh, Revolutionary Road is actually one of my favorite scores by him because the way he is a master of developing a theme and uh you know the way the theme changes through the film you know he's he's great at writing these thematic scores as of course is john williams in a yes in a, yes. In a much bolder way um you know more obvious way to to us as as audiences and um so so yeah so just and also i, I listen to a lot of um, I don't just listen to film scores. I've listened to uh, a couple of friends of mine, actually, um, Mara Andrade, who's a great singer. She's, um, she's from the, uh, the Cape Verde Islands off the coast of West Africa. Oh, wow, and lovely. She, um, she, her musical influences are uh, Brazilian Portuguese, French chanson and West African. And so I've listened to a lot of world music artists and of course Peter Gabriel was a huge influence on me in my in my teens yes. and yes. Um, you know in my in my 20s and then to get to work with him was was incredible. I used to like listening to production things like Daniel Lanois, um, I loved the records that he produced, like the Neville Brothers and Bob Dylan, Emmylou Harris. He he, um, and of course he produced you too as well. So it was li- I really used to listen to production and see the sounds and how they were all put together in terms of uh, recording techniques and mixing. That really interests me as opposed to just the music. And then of course by listening to all the production techniques of these great engineers and producers, it opened my ears to the actual music and the artists that they were producing. So, you know, with Peter Gabriel, I really opened my ears to uh, Daniel Lenoir's work and Brian Eno, um, who I'm a huge fan of as well. Uh, I just think he's a great thinker and and a very cerebral, intelligent man that just, again, someone that pushes on the edges of creativity
1: yeah and really searches for something new
0: Mm, and and sees the world in a different way as well um because for me story scoring films or whatever I'm scoring it's all about storytelling and I, I sort of come full circle in so much as when I first started writing music it was really just for myself and it made me realize you know and and I was writing music to find out more about myself you know, and and to discover who I am as a human being and and then of course you just end up working on projects after project after project and now and so I don't write music for myself anymore because I'm always writing to serve the film or the video game or the TV series
1: yeah of course about the project
0: yeah and i'm serving the director's vision of the reality of the game or the or the film and tv project and now i'm feeling that i want to start writing my own music for myself again and and it's a quite common thing that happens to media composers i discovered recently that um it's hard to find yourself you know when you're writing to serve projects i like working with a music brief or the parameters of the film you know what world am i what musical world am i trying to create with this um thriller or this romantic comedy or whatever it is you know the project you're working on yeah. and then when when i'm writing music for myself i think oh i don't know what to do now i can do anything too many options too many <laughs> options that's right it's just too many options so it's a really interesting um process Mm, it's funny how it changes, isn't it? Because mm. as you
1: say, like you started writing music for yourself, like most composers would. Yes. You know, it's generally how most composers start out. And then as you say, you work on the projects, you start serving the projects and that becomes your life. Yes. Um, so when you're like, oh, I finally have time to do my own projects again. Yeah. Oh, where do I start?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm creating my own brief. You know, I'm creating my own uh, constraints and, and parameters, and say, right, I'm going to write this, and this is, uh, and it's, and it's all about telling stories. So I'm creating a narrative story uh, for my own music, and say, well. This is the emotional story, uh, journey that we're going to go on for this for this album project, and that that I think is really exciting.
1: No, yeah, that's amazing. So, what what's your kind of timeline on that? Are you giving yourself some sort of deadline, or are you trying to be quite relaxed in and amongst everything else? <laughs> well,
0: that's the problem, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, you know, work gets in normal work gets in the way. So, um, you know, I'm giving myself a year to do this. And okay. and I have that seems I do have ideas uh, I've got I've got a, a story that I'm going to follow that I, uh, the path that I'm going down um, so that's going to be quite exciting we'll see what happens there
1: nice yeah well we
0: we'll look forward to hearing about that one then
1: do you have a I'm always curious about this do you have something in mind to try and keep yourself to that deadline um, to kind of stop you missing the year mark or
0: I wish I did I was hoping that this. Uh, period through COVID-19 would give me that opportunity to take some time out and I mean when it happened it happened and it it just sort of hit us all sideways yeah. so uh, and you know uh, I hear a lot of people I keep hearing that people have a lot of time on their hands to do the projects they want to do and, and develop themselves and look inwards and be reflective and thoughtful and so on and um I mean, I'm very great, very fortunate, but, but also it's a shame that I can't spend time on this project that I always wanted to work on because I'm too busy writing scores. <laughs> so Yes, which is
1: a shame, but it's also a good thing. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. So,
0: um, so we'll see. You know, I, I am trying to set... Uh, I think I'm giving myself a year from now to do this. Mm. You he- you heard it here first. <laughs> and
1: there you go. So in a year's time, we'll call you up yeah. and be like, "So, yes. where's the uh, where's the album?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So speaking of the current situation, then, how has it been for you work wise? Has it been fairly simple in terms of the fact that you've worked from home? mostly anyway or i mean obviously it's difficult when it comes to recording musicians and things yeah
0: it's a it's a funny thing you say you know so it's a, it's a running joke within the composer community that well we all isolate ourselves anyway and work in <laughs> <laughs> so so in that respect i'm used to it and it's fine but i had all my i was traveling a lot uh, i had a lot of plans for going off and doing things uh, for work and and business and um That all got cancelled virtually, you know, within the span of a week. So uh, in that respect, my travels have all been stopped, which is a shame. But I have got a lot of projects on at the moment, which fortunately they were all mid-edit. All the teams were working, um, you know, filming had been completed. And so we were just working away um, and they're all... I'm fine, but they all had to adjust to working remotely. So we have got the editor in one place, the director working from their home, me working from here. And so we're all communicating via Zoom and yeah. emails and phone calls. So and in that respect, it's it's fine and it hasn't affected things really. But I have got other projects that were due to start filming around about now. And they've all been postponed by you know five six months who knows Um, yeah of course and 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 once things do come back to some kind of normality who knows whether they'll um pick up again so so i don't know there's that uncertainty there which is which is i mean the first month i found it very unsettling and and i found it very difficult to focus creatively yeah because you know it's just the uncertainty of everything and the world that we live in um turned upside down is is weird but then i found it i found being able to work and be creative a great distraction from the real world actually yes um, so uh, so um so i'm very lucky there but with the musicians it's quite interesting you bring that up because two days after lockdown i actually got a confirmation of a feature doc that i'm working on at the moment for netflix And they said that they want uh, a live orchestral score uh, with real musicians. And I said, I'm sorry, that's not going to be possible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit tricky right now. (laughs) Yeah. So I said, I thought the only way this could happen, uh, that I could make it work, was to use musicians that can record themselves remotely you know musicians that have their own little setups at home and they can and there are musicians that can do this um, but it's not totally widespread you know in the industry yeah and it's still not the same
1: as you know being there with a live musician is it
0: no no I mean I love seeing musicians face to face that communication that eye-to-eye contact is is so important you when you're you're working and collaborating and so what I did was I put a call out on social media for um, remote musicians, you know, string players and so on that could that could play, uh, record remotely. Yeah. And yeah. I just got inundated with people and I had over 300 people contact, uh, literally over 300 people uh, just say, you know, we can record, we can record. And so I created a Google uh, database a google spreadsheet and people just signed themselves up on it and it just and it was so huge that um uh, i thought well i have to share this with uh, the composer community and so i have done and uh, it's just exploded into this website it's called the rrd.net the remote recording directory.net fantastic yeah the ivers academy in in here in london they um are hosting the website on their database it's free uh, musicians uh, session players you know from mix engineers to orchestrators to uh orchestral musicians to you know people in bands they're they've all signed up to it it's free and it's for the composer community to to use um and to find players who uh and it's it's great because i've found a lot of musicians from it and i've had some wonderful responses so we have over 650 musicians signed up to it now
1: that's amazing
0: it is yeah so that was it was a it's just a great way of I think bringing people together, because when we were all in lockdown, um, I got emails from musicians saying... We've lost all our work overnight, uh, you know, concerts, gigs, tours cancelled. And I just thought, well, I have to do something to bring these two needs together, try and get musicians work and try and help composers who need musicians.
1: Yeah, because people still need them. Yeah, like, even, exactly. Even though they're not performing.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, even once we're back to some kind of normality, I think it's it's a great resource for composers to use and for to bring people together from all over the world because i've now found musicians from amazing musicians from playing all sorts of unusual instruments from all around the globe um that i'd never heard of or didn't know so i think hopefully it can make us creative in in different ways as well good things can come out of uh things like these situations that we find ourselves in
1: yeah i think it's amazing how i mean obviously this situation is awful and has been brought upon you know the world so suddenly yeah, yeah. <laughs> um that there's been a lot of tragedy it's nice to actually see some good come out of it as well um and it's really nice to see how the music and audio community have banded together and come together to try and help everyone um as well as other industries as well
0: yeah no of course but i mean in our in our circle it's been wonderful to see the artistic communities coming together and uh, trying to to fight this
1: 100 percent. yeah yeah Okay, so we alluded to some of your recent work earlier, but I would like to talk about um, a couple of them, actually. I would really like to talk to you about Telling Lies, the interactive game by Annapurna Interactive. It sounded like it was a very, very interesting project. Was it your first video game project?
0: Well, you know, I I worked in games when I first started in the industry a little bit.
1: Yeah, as you said before, yeah.
0: Yeah, but the processes have changed so much that this was was really like my first video game uh, coming back into it. And um, it's a really interesting uh, project because it's a hybrid between traditional linear film and uh, a video game. So it's all FMV, full motion video. And it's, a, it's basically that the game is, um, how can I describe it? Um, it? It's about, it's an investigative thriller. And uh, it's all full motion video. It's about nine or ten hours worth of video, and it's um it's about a an agent who goes undercover and triple double undercover, and uh, you've got several characters, and you are you're finding out about them, and they're all lying to one another.
1: Nice. So it's one of those investigative visual stories.
0: It is, and the acting is absolutely superb, and. Um, You're watching, you know, there's a a very, um, how can I describe it? Uh, It's really difficult to describe. You know, um, when we first discussed the project, Sam, the developer, um, Sam Barlow, told me in a couple of words what the game was about. And then he um, elaborated on his film inspirations that ranged from Projects like, uh, films like Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, um, Sex, Lies and Videotape. You know, so basically, you know, we were also inspired by Uh, Nordic noir spy espionage covert intelligence type type movies hacking political scandals because that's what this that's the world of this game it's about an NSA agent who goes undercover and she finds um, a hard drive of material that um, she then and and on this material are lots of CCTV webcam iPhone kind of uh, intimate conversations between these between several characters and so you're really deep diving into their personalities and what makes them tick. So I had a lot of conversations with Sam. I didn't get to see any visuals. And that was a really unusual way for me to work because... Oh, wow. So you didn't see any at all? No. So normally I'll get to see the film or the TV show uh as a clips and rough raw raw cuts of uh, of uh, rough cuts of, of films and here i had this 270 page script to go on and no visuals at all That's because really interesting. sam wanted the music written before they actually started filming so that the filming would um the, the music would help his writing and also help the actors on set when they were, you know, they'd they'd be playing the music and be sort of absorbing the mood of it and the tone of it. Um, So, because it's... The music had to be quite atmospheric and quite cerebral. So I was writing... um, We came up with this plan to create a theme for each character. And so I wrote four big themes. And I was writing these... Sam, we would have lots of discussions... And I'd create music playlists and we'd share our musical inspirations based on our conversations and based on the script, basically, and... Sam would give me very elaborate and very visual analogies of the characters, and that helped me draw a mental picture of the musical world that I was trying to create. So we'd have conversations about the characters, the multiple facets of their personalities, and because the characters are lying to one another, they would, each character would have a duality with their personality, so there'd be the external surface Personality that we all see, and then uh, and that would be brought out in the theme. But then, when you as a player, as a gamer, as you dig beneath the surface, that would then open up, that would reveal a darker side or a different side to their personality, their true personality. And so, the music would have to reflect that, we'd have a hidden loop. Um, in the music theme that would reveal the character's true personality, so it was it was quite a journey, and we, dis- and because we were inspired by these old seventies, you know, films like The Conversation and Clute and all the President's Men, and these great sort of spy covert intelligence uh, heist movies, we decided to write just. Um, to create an orchestral score that was quite moody. And I brought in the London Contemporary Orchestra to perform it. We recorded 15 strings, a couple of woodwinds, a piano and a harp. And that's all. Wow. So, so I created um, parameters for myself, and and not allow ourselves to use any electronics, because normally I I include electronics in in all my scores, you know, in samples and and you know the latest technology and synths and so on. And yeah, we thought let let let's keep this purely acoustic and raw and organic I brought in the London Contemporary Orchestra and they're known for playing on scores uh, on all Johnny Greenwood scores like um, There Will Be Blood and uh, You Were Never Really Here and you know they're and they played on I think they've played on Mika Levy's scores for Under the Skin as well and Jackie and so on and so they have a certain aesthetic to their playing and uh, because the, what you're listening to as uh, when you're playing the game you're actually uh, listening in on private conversations
1: right okay. and
0: so it's very intimate private conversations and you're not really it's like you're spying and you're not really meant to be there
1: you're kind of a fly on the wall
0: yeah you're a fly on the wall and so with the sound the overall sound world i wanted to create this this intimate sound that was rather that was gritty and edgy and quite visceral in the way that it was played, and the LCO are really good at doing that. And the other thing we did was when I was recording with them, um, we would record the music as I as I'd written it, and and that was fine. But then we did improvised recording sessions in the actual uh, recording studio itself. We I built in extra time to. Create this um, unusual um, improvised performances from them, and they're really good at doing that. You know, they're very experienced at that. So you never knew quite what to expect. You know, they look at the notes and they um, and they perform it, and then we'll do another take where we might try something different, and we sort of like have a semi-improvised performance where nice. we're just recording it, which was a so so that was a really interesting atmosphere that was created it was quite edgy and because in the game you're looking at close-ups of the characters um, faces you see all the what what happens in the game is that you have a conversation between two people but you only ever hear one side of the conversation you don't see the response ah, so okay. you know i could be talking but the gamer won't know what the other person is saying so, so there aren't hear
1: the responses
0: yeah and so you're oh, trying that's really to interesting. you're trying to figure things out and figure out it's like clues to the puzzle sometimes things are revealed and you don't know what's happening and so with the music i wanted it to be so you see what what you're doing as the gamer is you're looking at the person's face and you see all. All their little facial inflections and there's a lot of rich detail in the actors' performances and I wanted the music to reflect that so that you had a lot of detail in the music and, and richness in the textures of the, um, of the playing itself. So it was quite a so it was quite a process. Um Yeah, it sounds like it, it. Yeah. But uh you know, we we tried all sorts of experimental recording techniques, uh, ex- experimental playing techniques, sorry. Like um spectral scrubbing and all sorts of weird things like the bows hitting along the bridge. We even had the, we did this thing called oyster pits, which was okay. taking <laughs> taking the oy- oyster card, you know, the like a credit card, yeah, and yeah. and hitting the strings with the uh, credit card (laughs) which is is quite fun yeah
1: and did that um produce something quite usable
0: yeah it did yeah I mean sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't sometimes it was it was just a bit too edgy and going to sort of (laughs) avant-garde experimental music and so we had to rein it back but but it was a way of also we had a limited number of minutes of music in the game and so i and in game music, you know, I have to write in, in layers and and in segments. Yeah. So it was a way of trying to create variation so that you never heard the same take twice. Uh, or, I, you know, I had each theme was played five or six different ways. So we have slightly different nuances. Um, so you didn't, f- even though you think you're hearing the same piece, every time it's played in a slightly different way, Um, So that was a way of extending the music so that it didn't sound so repetitive, which is um, one of the problems of games music, you know, one of the technical hurdles of the the repetitiveness of it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, you can buy it with the soundtrack at the moment, I believe, can't you? You can buy a soundtrack edition.
0: Yeah, well, there's a digital download available on all the usual retailers, and yes. uh, but um, I don't know if there's a bundle on Steam, I think, I'm not sure. But, yeah, uh, there
1: is, yeah, te- Buy Telling Lies Soundtrack Edition Bundle.
0: Ah, well, there you go, yeah, so uh, yeah, you can get it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, and I love writing the theme tune for it, that was uh, that was a lot of fun, which you can hear on um, on the trailer for the game.
1: Well, it's been on my hit list for a while. I have to say I was interested um, in the game anyway, but now I'm even more interested um, because I want to hear the soundtrack. So um, I might check that one out pretty soon. Great. Um, and speaking of themes, actually, um, I had a quick question on something else you worked on. You did the theme for Harry and Meghan's wedding. Is that right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was the BBC called me up. And said, Would I got an email, uh, literally an email from the BBC, from the BBC saying, Would you be interested in writing the theme tune for the BBC broadcast of the Royal Wedding? And, uh, I didn't believe it <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can imagine yeah it's quite an interesting request
0: <laughs> yeah I'm not really a royalist or a monarchist in any way and um, and I thought well why me you know <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting phone call to get
0: <laughs> yeah um, so uh, I said yeah sure you know I mean it was it was quite daunting actually and I had to um, we actually ended up I mean it was a pretty low budget to be honest and And we actually ended up um, uh, getting the BBC National Orchestra of Wales to play on it. Oh, fantastic. Um, They sort of (laughs) did me a favour, which is because, you know, they're one of the BBC orchestras and it wasn't a very long piece of music, so they managed to squeeze it in. So I got 50 strings in, uh, which was really great. But the funny thing is I I happened to be at... uh, the recording date was set to be we could we could only do it if if they could only do it as a favor if um we did it when they were av- available right and i was actually at Cannes film festival working out there uh, representing you know a film out there and so the recording session i meant that it, I just couldn't be. Um, I, I couldn't um, attend the recording session, so I sent my orchestrator, who was my producer on the day, um, to handle the session for me. So I was there in Cannes and listening in to the session remotely at Cannes Film Festival while he was recording it. Oh wow! Which is I thought, <laughs> God, this is this. You know, if people heard how how we work, they could wouldn't believe it. It was quite quite strange Um, but it was good fun and uh, I think I wrote 13 different versions of the of the theme for the team to approve and um, it was yeah because they wanted a piece of music that represented the new royal family you know that megan was coming in at the time of course things have changed now yeah. but <laughs> but at the time you know megan was coming into the family and they wanted something that injected a fresh new sound uh, because she was literally injecting fresh new blood into the royal family and bringing them up to date and and you know that was something that was quite contemporary but still traditional and orchestral but with uh, modern sounds added to it and uh, I think there's somebody's posted a version of it on YouTube I think oh really so so if you if you dig around it's it's there somewhere but now you know the irony of it is that the royal family suddenly things have changed yes (laughs) for them quite a bit over the last year so I don't know whether it's um it's a bit of a it's a strange one to have said that I worked on now. <laughs> yes, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, after they made that sudden announcement back. Uh, yeah, back when um, not too long ago though, actually, I suppose was it?
0: No, no pre-COVID times. Yeah. Yes. yes, which uh, <laughs>
1: feels like forever ago, but actually wasn't too long ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's a fun. Fant-
1: that's, that's an interesting one to pass on, isn't it? I wrote the theme tune to a royal wedding.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, well, I actually, you know, at the end of it, it was a huge honour, and I did sit down with my family to um, to watch the royal wedding, and uh, it was it was good fun. Yeah, I sort of enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it must have been an interesting one to share with them as well. Like, oh look, there's my theme tune. <laughs>
0: well, that's, you know, that, that's, yeah. I mean, my normally my my parents and 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 family they don't they don't find it. They don't find what I do terribly glamorous or interesting, and uh, you know what are you working on? That in sound. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then and then suddenly they thought I'd arrived when I told them oh, I've just you know just written the theme tune for the royal wedding. What you know they couldn't believe it, and I can imagine. suddenly they suddenly you know that that put me on the map with them. I think they um, thought, oh well, you must be doing something right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think every
1: composer or sound designer has that moment as soon as you yeah. mention like a big name you <laughs> Like, you know, up until that point, your parents are like, oh, OK, cool, I guess, you know, yeah. but you were great at maths, you know, and then <laughs> and then you're yeah. like BAFTA or Oscar or, you know, <laughs> you yeah. mention any this... of these things and they go, oh, oh, well, OK, then well done. Yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly you are taken seriously. They've always said, when are you going to get a real job, Nanita? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The
1: classic line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should give up this whole sound music thing and get a real job. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I. I I had that for many, many years. And then <laughs> me thought, too. Yeah. I, yeah, you know, I, I managed to pay the bills, and you know, I, I put food on the table, and I can feed the cat. So, uh, so you know, <laughs> that's the I'm priorities okay, there. Thanks. You know,
1: the cat's got food. That's number one. Yes. Yeah. Well,
0: he's he's looking at me. He's just given me a really strange look. He's he's a good assistant. He's sleeping next to me in the studio at the moment. Fantastic. Um, yeah.
1: Doing his job.
0: <laughs> yes, doing his job very well. <laughs>
1: So another project of yours, actually, that did rather well was For Sama, which was a documentary you worked on, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. For Sama was something that um, came out of the blue. It was uh, I was recommended to it by a sound designer friend of mine, actually. And uh, he brought me to the attention of the uh, one of the co-directors, Ed Watts, um, who was looking for a composer at the time. And so... I got brought on quite early on in the project in terms of the editing. They'd been, Wad Al-Khatib had been filming and documenting the Syrian uprising uh, over a five-year period. Oh, wow. And she shot over, yeah, she shot over 500 hours worth of uh, film, starting off on her mobile phone and then moving on to a handheld uh, home video camera.
1: That's a crazy amount of footage.
0: Yeah, and so, so it was a lot of material, and and she was ne- she never intended for it to be made into a uh, film at all, but she. Channel 4 what happened was Channel 4 took her f- some of her p- footage and they were broadcasting it on Channel 4 News every now and again oh, right. as regular as regular posts you know this is what's happening in in Syria at the moment in uh, with the in Aleppo in the Syrian uprising
1: Yeah I assume they credited her and everything
0: Oh yes of course yes yeah everything was above board and so she had no experience of making a film before she was this university student who had was she wanted to be a documentarian and she wanted to be a news journalist but uh, this was while she was at university this happened and so she documented everything around her and so the film is basically a found footage film and Channel 4 brought on board uh, Ed Watts uh, to be her co-director in the edit so they had all this material and uh, the edit lasted for 18 months, which is a huge amount of time to wow. edit a film. Um, yes. And so, so I got brought on at the beginning of that 18 months. And I was involved in the film for that whole period, um, sort of 20 months uh, all in all. And what happened was um, the, the brief that I, I was working with Ed initially and... They sent me some rough scenes, and I got a brief from him, which was to write a very rich Hollywood cinematic type score. You know, something that you'd hear, um, in Zero Dark Thirty. You know, the Catherine Bigelow oh, yes. feature film. You know, those those kinds of movies, those American Hollywood views of the the Middle East and those political movies. And so I started writing a lot of material. I think I wrote over over eighty themes. And I was watching the scene thousands of times. You know, I mean, it's a really difficult film to watch. I
1: was going to say, it must have been tough to keep watching it while scoring it.
0: Yeah, it was a very tough film to work on uh, emotionally because, I mean, I'm quite used to working on all sorts of subjects. And, and you know, yeah, I yeah. I, gra- I gravitate towards dark subjects you know I've written scores for The Confessions of Thomas Quick which I mentioned earlier as my BAFTA breakthrough uh, yes. Pro- yes. Um, project that was about Sweden's most notorious serial killer so so you know I've, wor- I've yeah, worked, you've on, worked quite, on some quite, dark quite...
1: stuff before then
0: <laughs> yeah but this was like nothing else I'd ever experienced and so I was writing a lot of music I think I wrote over 80 themes and the team the editor and, and the directors were they were editing with my music, and then about four or five months into the uh, process, uh, there was a pause in the edit, and the film hadn't quite found its narrative voice. I mean, there was it, it was a good film, but there was nothing. There was something about it that wasn't quite gelling, and they then realised you know, there was a lot of toing and froing, and lots of opinions being thrown yeah. into the into the, the debate and discussions, and they realised that. The film had the true spine of the film is the relationship between Wad and her baby daughter. And this was this film was a love letter from a mother to a daughter to explain why they stayed in Aleppo so long and why they eventually had to leave. Right, And so it's a it became a much more intimate film uh, about humanity you know the the f- there was a lot of soul searching to find um the heart of the film and you know while on the one level the music had to capture the onslaught of angst and fear and tragedy hope the feeling of pathos you know that was prevalent at the time they it, it it the film is actually about what it means to be human in extreme situations like this yeah and so we then realized that that was what the music had to do to bring out the tenderness of the humanity between a mother and a child and when we did that when we realized that the music no longer worked that that because the music that i'd written to up to that point was quite big and rich and cinematic and there was nothing wrong with the music but it just yeah, it was but it just no longer fitted it provision. was overpowering and manipulating the audience too much And so we started stripping the music back and only putting in music where we felt it to be absolutely necessary and to support the film and to bring out the intimacy of that relationship and uh, what was going on, what was really going on in the film. So, um, So the music's much more subtle and minimalist and poignant. And, you know, the scenes are so powerful that we kept stripping the music back to the point where at times it feels as though it's at at one with the soundscape as well. And the other thing I did with the music was to bring in, you know, on every project that I score, I want it to be, uh, I'm quite immersive in the way I score so that I get involved with this story and I do my research. And, you know, that's something I I have to find the truth um, in the story. And to find the truth in the characters and immerse myself in the subject matter. So to be in order to be authentic to the score. So I found this Syrian violinist who's a, living as a refugee in Italy. And he plays the Syrian violin on the, on the score. And the edginess and the soulfulness of his play... Really captured the the aching heart of the film for for all of us. Lovely. So that was just a, a beautiful thing. Um, I'm incredibly proud of you know to to be involved in that journey. And and also I've never worked on a project where. The person who's filmed it is actually in the film and she's then produced it and directed it.
1: Yeah, that must be surreal.
0: Yeah, it was really uh, quite a surreal experience. So I felt a lot of responsibility to do justice to Wad's life story. And and then for her to say to me, Nanita, I like the music like this. And of course, I had to embrace that and and follow that because it's her story ultimately um there's there's one piece of music at the end of the film which is not on the soundtrack but it's um she uh, wad asked for an arrangement of a syrian folk song that she'd always listened to as a child uh, that she grew up with and that was quite um a moving moment for her where she yeah, wanted that. Imagine. You know, it's like the end of the film, the end four, five minutes of the film is just this one big piece of music and uh, that had to lead the story. And it was like, it's a real tearjerker. And it was a very yeah. difficult piece to write, to think, well, this is this encapsulates everything about her life and the film and the Syrian um you know the uprising so there was there was hope to it and um it was it was quite a moving and and challenging piece of music to write um but we got there we got there in the end
1: yeah and it did fantastically well didn't it it had quite a few nominations
0: yeah it got nominated for an Oscar which was something that none of us expected It's um, incredible, and, uh, it congratulations got a, that's amazing. Yeah it got a BAFTA and uh, it won four BIFA awards and I was nominated for a BIFA for best score so it's done, uh, last year was just quite a ride and I, I was very fortunate in that I was able to go to some film festivals with the team as well so I was at Cannes Film Festival and went to toronto hot dogs and uh, it got shown here in the uk in the cinemas last autumn and the soundtrack is out as well so um so yes it was it was um it's uh, it's just one of those films that i'm incredibly proud of having worked on and it's just a unique utterly unique film
1: yeah it sounds phenomenal and such a unique experience as well
0: yeah yeah it was
1: I actually have just one last question for you today, um, which can be difficult depending on the NDAs involved. However, (laughs) what other projects do you have coming soon that you can tell us about at the moment?
0: Um, Well, I'd scored... The reason I jump, which is based on a bestseller book, The reason I jump, um, written by a thirteen-year-old Japanese boy about ten years ago, and it's a it's a documentary feature which uh, had its world premiere at Sundance Film Festival earlier this year, um, and it won the World Cinema documentary audience award prize I think uh, I think that's what the award was <laughs> so um, <laughs> so so that was uh, I spent a year working on that film which was I mean, again another incredibly immersive uh, process and it sort of tied in my beginnings of sound design as well it's sort of we were blending we the music and there's and the sound design work hand in hand and uh, it's a the film is about nonverbal autism so uh, that uh, that was and an, an autistic people are very heightened. Their senses are very heightened um, to you know sound and and music and and you know other the environment around them. So that was a uh, really challenging in a good way, um, a film to to score. So that that will be coming out in UK cinemas later this year uh, it's meant to be coming out in the autumn so let's see if we're all allowed out to the cinemas see how that works out fingers but, crossed yeah but it was <laughs> it's on at um, Toronto uh, Hot Docs Festival at the moment and but of course a lot of the film festivals on that have now gone virtual but um, some of my other projects are uh, Fierce Queens which is out at the moment on the new streaming platform called Quibi which you can only get on your mobile phones
1: oh that's Sounds interesting, actually.
0: Yeah, it's a natural history um, series. Um, Each episode is a self-contained film. And focuses on a female species in the animal kingdom. So musically, it's really, really diverse. Um, I've sort of been banned from using the orchestra actually. So, it's, <laughs> so it's a lot of. It's very contemporary. Um, I'm writing everything from urban hip hop to gypsy jazz to 70s retro funk kind of vibes oh, wow. to that is uh, to Brazilian music, <laughs> Brazilian world, South American music. To you know, you name it. It's electronica, uh, you know, all sorts of different things, and each animal has its own sound world and uh, own story. So that's quite exciting, and uh, I'm still finishing that off at the moment. So <laughs> got another three episodes to go out of the fifteen. Um, I've got Bad Boy Billionaires, which is a really fun, exciting project. It's a Netflix original documentary series which will come out soon i hope um maybe end of summer early autumn we'll see but it's a it's a four-part uh, documentary series about the rise and fall of these famous billionaires Oh, fascinating! Quite, quite exciting and i'm working on a feature doc for netflix at the moment which is um a true crime feature doc which is has got remarkable access and i can't say anything more than that um <laughs> And I'm uh, just starting up on a on another series for Netflix, which, again, it's an amazing story, but I'm not allowed to say anything um, about that. But coming next week on BBC4 and probably on iPlayer as well is a drama series called Unprecedented. And it's a series of 11 short films. They're digital plays starring 50 of some of the most amazing acting famous acting talent in the uk and they've all been filmed in isolation in their own homes using using zoom and iphones and webcams so uh, that's a really exciting project that's coming out and you know it's 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 called Unprecedented um, Theatre in a State of Isolation. And um, they're all different stories about people living in isolation, uh, you know, through this COVID-19 era. And uh, they've all you've got all these famous actors in their living rooms, basically living rooms and bedrooms. That's awesome. Which is which is uh, which is a lot of fun.
1: That does sound incredible. Okay, well, we'll have links for most of those projects below as well. And I just want to say thank you again for joining me today. That is all my questions, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And I hope you'll join us again at some time.
0: Thank you so much, Sam. I'd love to come back and and chat more. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me along.
1: No, and we're very, very glad to hear that you'd love to join us again. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks again to Nonita. And stay home and stay safe. Hey everyone, this is Sam. Thanks very much for listening to the Sound Architect podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, there are many ways you can show your support for the show, which is incredibly appreciated. Obviously, there's the financial way where you can support us directly at patreon.com forward slash UK. However, there are many other ways that really help as well, such as liking, subscribing, reviewing, commenting and sharing via whatever channel you're listening on, whether it be Spotify, Podchaser, YouTube or other platforms. Even a like or a share on social media really, really helps. So thank you so much to everyone who supports the podcast. It really is a work of passion for me and I love doing it. And, uh, you know, it's really good hearing your feedback and all the good things from everyone that gets to listen to it.